All right, welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel's across the way. Hello, hello. Uh, it's summertime, officially summertime. So every once in a while, we'll, we'll be off a week. We were off last week. Just didn't kind of our schedules didn't kind of line up for Eric and I to, to get together and do this. But uh, it kind of created a, a bigger podcast because there's more stuff to talk about now. Uh, before we dive into that, go to DuckTerritory.com if you are not a subscriber, and you can sign up for a membership for $1 for your first 30 days uh, to try us out, or uh, if you are a month-to-month subscriber, or if you want to just go all in and get an annual subscription, uh, your first year can be $6.26. Uh, that is an incredibly cheap price. Uh, no one can beat that price for an annual subscription that's out there. Uh, I highly encourage you to go out and uh, try DuckTerritory.com as VIP membership. Uh, I speak for Eric and for myself here. I, I think if you do it, you won't regret it, and you'll 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 be hooked. Uh, big show today. We've got Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal availability. He spoke at a golf course, which was wild. Which was wild in Portland. Which he does. He says he's absolutely terrible at golf. The whole the whole staff is apparently terrible at golf. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, and. And so we'll have some we'll have some updates on what Mario Cristobal said availability. He touched on a lot of different topics. Eric was there. Uh, we'll address the Chris Steele decommitment transfer. How do we want to how that. do we want to call that? Uh, and then on top of that, Oregon football uh, they've landed a couple verbal commitments over the last five days of since we've since we're doing this recording on the 11th of June. Uh, one of them being one of the largest human beings I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, and then if, if we've got time, uh, we're going to also talk about Eric's positional rankings. If the podcast goes a little bit long, uh, we're going to save that for next week. So kind of teasing, possibly previewing that at the final bit of the show. So uh, let's get to Chris Steele. I think a lot yeah. of people want to know about this situation first and foremost. Um, well, it's interesting because I don't know how to describe it either. Is it a, is it a transfer? Is it is it like is it a decommitment and a, re- and a, and a recommitment to USC? Like I don't know how. I, and we should say it was so kind of confusing that this is clearly a huge story and nobody asked Mario Cristobal about it because we're all kind of like I don't know what we're supposed to say and what he like what are, what is the actual rule yeah. of whether what he can say. Um, yeah, I don't even know if he signed financial aid. I, we think he did, and we we kind of as a journalism group came to the conclusion that we could ask about it, and then we were kind of thinking about what would we want to ask him about it, so we ended up asking about the transfer portal, which ended up, right. he actually gave a pretty thoughtful answer. But it is such a weird thing here where Chris Steele leaves Florida, announces he's going to Oregon, seems like he's going to go to Oregon, visits Oregon, and then a few days later... He's, he's on like, campus at USC. He's at campus of USC, and then announcing that's where he's going instead. I mean, it's just... It's been a weird, and there's so much stuff on the basketball side. There's just so much moving parts now in the off season with football and college sports right now, with the portal and with the way everything's working, and it's made things really entertaining. I think it's added to the entertainment value of the summer because sure. there's a lot more player carousel players jumping around. But it's got to be if you're a coach, you're probably pulling your hair out. Yeah, and Cristobal, I think answered it really well. Again, we're jumping into it a little bit, but just the transfer portal thing about how you know if, if you're having issues with it, you're doing this wrong, and so he kind of took responsibility, I guess, a little bit for kind of how things play out, but it is, I think, such a weird deal where you've now got a guy like Chris Steele who could have theoretically, if he was cleared to play, been like a starting caliber player for Oregon, a big difference maker. I mean, he would be one of the highest rated 
players. Oh yeah, he's extra, he would have stepped foot player. on, and even though Oregon has DeAndre Lenore and Thomas Graham Jr., two, two juniors that are starting for this, mm-hmm. you know, Thomas Graham has started since day one. Yeah, Lenore kind of came off the bench. I think almost the entirety of his freshman yeah. year, and then his sophomore year, less past year, he was a full time starter. Um, but they have two guys fully entrenched at that position, and you looked at Chris Steele and said, "I don't care." They, he's going to play. He, he he may not start. He may push one of them for a starting spot, but he's going to play in some capacity for Oregon. And so, yeah, he was a big. It was a big time deal that he Absolutely. was going to come to Oregon. It's a big time deal that he's now not going to Oregon. And I don't know if this is just me speculating, but knowing the track record of this, is it really over? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, no, hasn't, he hasn't enrolled at USC. I mean, uh, our, our counterpart, uscfootball.com, which is run by Ryan Abraham and his crew, yeah. you know, they said that USC's potentially bringing Chris Steele in for an official visit here in the next couple of weeks just to kind of, I guess, seal, seal the deal. And it's... So if if that's the case, is it really even over? I mean, is Oregon having communication still? Are they trying to get him? Do you want to try and get him back? And part of me says no. Part yeah. of me says yes. But, I mean, you look at Chris Steele's timeline of just being a recruit. He committed as a junior to UCLA, decommitted after his junior season, committed to USC, I think, in the summer before his senior year, decommitted from USC during the late part of his senior year that fall, citing you know staff uncertainty and, and the lack of trust and development at USC, signed with or committed to Florida, and then signed with them, enrolled early, went through spring football, dec- decided to transfer out of Florida, committed to, to Oregon shortly thereafter, uh, and then shortly thereafter that, he committed to USC. So, yeah. <laughs> is that – I mean, do you want that uncertainty? I mean, I, and I'm not trying to speak negatively yeah, on, compli- Chris, on, on yeah. Chris Steele, and, and I want to make that clear that I'm not trying to badmouth the kid. But at, at one point you need to say you're either all in or you're not and we're going in a different direction in, in, in terms of recruiting. Or or is he so good that you, you, you just say, hey, until you enroll at USC, we're going to recruit you. I think you have. I mean, from my, I guess maybe I'm just thinking this way. I think the talent is so clear and undeniable that I think you kind of have to. And, and and it's a tough situation here. And and because I guess you have to sort of what's his, is he a, is he going to be a problem in the locker room? Is sure. he somebody that's going to be a discontent if things don't pan out properly? I mean, a lot of this is we don't necessarily fully understand his motivations for all of this flip flopping, right? And there, there's been some good reporting, I think, on. It sounds like some stuff with his family and, and yeah, Tyson and, Alger, the athletic, really good reporting on that yeah. about you know his mom losing her her job and, and the desire to stay close to, to potentially help her. That that is something that you can't overlook, and if that's truly the case, he should stay at USC. Probably there there is a huge motivation to do that. At the same time, if that's not ultimately what's going on, uh, then I think you know you maybe are kind of like I don't know, maybe we do try to get this kid back, but I, I just think it's a weird situation. And again. Oregon, the entirety of Oregon's signing class is going to be enrolling here in about 11 or 12 days. And if there's, I don't know, I think if there's any chance that you can get a hold of Chris Steele and say, hey, you were visiting here, you reaffirmed your commitment when you were here, you you loved everything about it, you love a lot of the guys on the team, this opportunity is still here, you just let him know it's still available. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. Because if he does somehow have a change of heart and something does come to the pike here, 
sure, that's going to be ugly. And yeah. It's going to create a lot more like, gosh, this guy is a, an absolute mess. But what if he gets on the field and he's immediately one of the team's best players? Yeah. And, and, and then you kind of go like, I think that outweighs what is going to be a really messy offseason and a really messy situation. It, it's it's tough, though. That opens the door with his departure. When, when Oregon – and there's a lot of domino effects for Oregon here because yeah. when – when or before he committed to Oregon, they were already kind of extremely tight on scholarships and being close. I think they're still over that eighty-five scholarship they limit. Need, they need to move a couple. Yeah. And they added a piece. And so what happened here is now all of a sudden that eliminated a, a spot in the twenty twenty recruiting class that they could offer out uh, more than likely. And they also had to find you know a couple. A couple guys that either weren't going to return or, or had to medically retire or, or whatnot, but they had to get under, weren't going to get into school. Um, they had to find a way to get under the 85 scholarship limit with Chris Steele. And now that Chris Steele has backed off his commitment to Oregon for the time being, uh, I guess I'm just going to reference that now for the time being. Until he enrolls into a school, I don't think you can consider him committed anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And now that he's no longer part of the, the program, uh, Oregon has another spot in the 2020 recruiting class to offer, and that spot was filled relatively quickly, in my opinion, uh, from a recruiting perspective, because they just landed a verbal commitment, and we'll discuss that commitment here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so th- there were some domino effects that happened negatively and also positively, you know, short-term and long-term for Oregon football. Um, Margaret Cristobal did speak at Langdon Farms Golf Course up in Portland. It's in the Portland area. Uh, for I think Oregon was having some kind of like booster golf tournament or yeah, scramble was, or something. It, exactly what it was, and coach, whereas, you know Missy Lombardi was there, the volleyball coach was there, some track and, uh, coaches from all over the, the athletic department were there, assistant coaches for Oregon were there. Yeah, it was it was just a big get together with a lot of alumni. Uh, and so they were fundraising, and and Mario Cristobal noted how important it is to you know bring out the support people and also mingle and thank the big-time boosters that were playing in this event and partaking in this. I think there was a, a silent auction going off and, and stuff like yes. that. And he, he made a point to know, you know how important those people are to just the overall health of the athletic department, not just the football program. Um, but there was also a lot of, I guess, house-cleaning things that we mm-hmm. had to get uh, confirmed and discussed with Mario Cristobal. Um, most notably... I Maybe what was the most notable thing? Probably the, the arrival of the freshmen and who's who's coming. Yeah, I think the two things that stood out off the top of my head would be, yeah, is that he confirmed that the entirety of the remaining 2019 signing class will be enrolling in, in two weeks. And not that there had been there was speculation, but there was Mace Funa about yeah. a possibility of a mission. There are some potential academic concerns. There was rumors about maybe they were going to have someone gray shirt or something right. to open up some scholarship room. USC was trying really hard to, to try and get Jonah Tuluanu not yeah. into Oregon. Right. And, I mean, even though he's still signed, uh, you know, there's been some, you know, smoke, I guess you could no, there's say. There's always loopholes in yes. how you can make this stuff work. <laughs> um, but Cristobal was, I think, was, I asked him straight up, do you expect everybody in? And he said, absolutely, we're going to get everybody in, and, which I think is, I think that's pretty notable. You know, this is the last time we're going to get an opportunity to ask yeah. him about this before uh, the 22nd when, when everybody's going to enroll. So they're expecting... Uh, the remaining, I think it's 15 players from that recruiting class in, and there's some really big players, like seven, five, seven four-star players, two or three guys that are top 100 recruits that are going to be enrolling. So the recruiting class from 2019 will remain intact by what he says. And I think the other thing that stood out was just an update on Calvin Throckmorton, who 
We all know how valuable he is. Potentially could be, I don't know, a first to third round draft pick, depending on how his season goes. He missed all of the spring with an injury, and Cristobal said he's full go back. Yeah. He's like, he's ready. He was ready and ready back to go. Back for a week in spring ball. Yeah, he was, he was kind of taking part in some stuff at the end of the last week of spring ball. Um, so I, I think that's significant. Um, you know, you want all of your... He's your best, in my opinion, he's their best offensive lineman right I, now. I think so too. I think Penesu will, will eventually ceiling, sur- right. surpass him, but right now, Throckmorton is yeah, the best. And, and a super, super valuable part of this, this offense and this team. So a huge, I think that was significant and, um, you know, in, in general, you know, Cristobal did also speak about the weight training and, and kind of how that has gotten his the guys into into shape and compared. Now to the there were some numbers thrown yeah, out. I should, we should clarify that because I think Cristobal uh, said that there were 55 players who squatted over 500 pounds, which I was kind of like, holy crap, that's incredible. <laughs> and of course, I also would never go and try to pick up 500 pounds and, 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 and get into a squat position and stand up. So. That sounds really heavy to me, but so does 400 pounds or 300 pounds. Maybe even 200 pounds at this point, <laughs> considering how little squatting I'm doing sounds difficult. So I was kind of like, okay, on face value, that's just incredible. Um, and, and then, but, but I, I was told afterwards by an Oregon official that that was actually the number of the players over 400 pounds. Um, but there, there that's are, still, that's ridiculous. Still, 55 players over 400 pounds. Last year, there were only 20, uh, 29 players, and then 15 players right now over 500 pounds. Last year, just three players. So. Significant improvements. Yeah, there are huge, huge, huge jumps. Huge, huge jumps across the board. So, but just to clarify those numbers because those are getting thrown around a lot, and it makes sense because those are huge numbers. Um, but yeah, some clarity there. But still, huge improvements from that perspective. He said they're seeing huge improvements from their speed training school, from an agility and, and, and uh, explosiveness perspective. So um, we'll have some. We'll have the full comments on that. We also have the video up on the site if you want to watch more of what he said. But uh, I think you kind of came away with. I don't think you couldn't be more. I mean. For where we are right now, with the season so far away, a lot of things that I think kind of get you going. They get you excited about what's going on with this program kind of moving forward because when you are removed a couple months from spring ball, you kind of lose track of some of the stuff. But getting an opportunity, I know for me, in mid-June to kind of get amped up on some football stuff was pretty good just to chat with him and kind of get caught up. But, yeah, I think the the weight training thing, another thing that's really notable. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting was – so I – uh, there was some stuff I, I had tweeted out from you know the, the press conference and the videos and not um, and Nick Cody, the former Oregon offensive lineman that played under Chip Kelly, sure. uh, and also Mike Bellotti, I think um, he tweeted out about the weightlifting numbers and stuff, and he said not only is that really good weight to put on, but he said that they're doing it properly and you know basing what he, he, he said he, he admitted he's just watching it. You know, from the, the videos that the, the athletic department puts out on Twitter of Flex Fridays and whatnot. Yeah. But it, he noted that when he was in college, you know, guys could do 500 pounds, but they weren't doing the squat either all the way. You know, they weren't dipping their bodies as low as they had to go for it to officially count as a, as a clean rep. Right. Or they, they were going low enough, but their technique and their form was not good. And, and he said watching the videos that they've put out over the last two and a half years – he said, you can tell with Coach Fell, the strength coach, they are being properly taught how to, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, to do to lift their weights. And then he said they're also going deep enough for the rep to actually count. So this isn't like, you know, right. this isn't like putting 500 pounds on the rack and, you know, maybe bending your knees 20% and then going back up and saying, oh, I did it. Which would be how I would probably <laughs> attempt at this point to do it without 500 pounds, by the way. I think my limbs would explode. <laughs> my tendons would pop. And so the, my overall theme, though, is is that you know you have former players who have done this before coming right. out and saying 
they are doing things properly and they are getting better coaching in these techniques than before. And we're now seeing the huge dividends that it's paying off for Oregon football. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see in that very first football game, late August in Dallas, yep. how they match up with another S- well, another SEC, but against an SEC. Cowboy, that's how they're. That's what they're building their program. That's what they're building. They're building their program as an SEC type of program, and you see that, especially in the weight training. You look at the guys leading that. Aaron Feld is an SEC guy through and through. He played in the SEC. He coached, uh, you know, as an assistant strength coach at, at Georgia, also in the SEC, obviously. That's kind of what they're basing it upon, and it'll be really interesting to see how now with a couple of cycles under this strength and conditioning staff and with the staff, which is, again, trying to really kind of, I don't want to say mimic, but try to use that as kind of, 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 of I guess, a, a map to kind of what they're trying to accomplish to see how that plays out. I think that's going to be something really interesting in that opening game, especially at the line of scrimmage where, uh, you know, Christopher did talk about kind of the body types are looking for it. They're, the Ducks are huge up front on the offensive line. How do they match up with that Auburn defensive line? And I'm sure we'll be talking about this. Um, throughout this offseason because that's going to be a, a huge matchup, that Auburn defense against that Oregon front. Um, one small note, Mario Cristobal did note that they've hired Nate Costa, um, former Oregon quarterback. He, I think he was in some kind of like analyst role at UCLA the last two seasons or last, last year, year yeah. under Chip Kelly. Um, and before that, he coached at IMG and um, – Obviously, the the connection for Oregon's program is, oh, former player, comes back, gets hired. But it's a little bit more complicated than that because no one on staff outside of Thomas Aarons, who's a recruiting guy for, for the program, and, and probably wouldn't have, no offense to Thomas, the, the, the clout to come in right. and say, hire this guy. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe he does. Uh, you know, but, That's not selling short. And, yeah, it's not selling short. But uh, at the same time, you know, Mario Cristobal and the rest of the staff don't really know to a full degree of, you know, they didn't coach Costa, no. they didn't recruit Costa, uh, they didn't try and keep him on staff when when um, they got here because he wasn't on staff. Uh, and so it was a little more complicated than that, but it sounded like there was some background, though, with Mario and him. Yeah, Cristobal said that he was somebody that actually interviewed at Alabama for an, for an analyst role when he was there and, and Chris Paul said we wanted to hire them and he said and then they were asked well why didn't you hire them then and it was kind of well I, I, I was the big I wanted to hire him but you know big guy there's somebody else who's making the decision who happens to somebody be, else who happens to be pretty important <laughs> um, so obviously that that benefit I think that's a point we should make though is that like we look at this Oregon staff and, and I think everybody agrees they've done a fantastic job this is a staff that really doesn't have a ton of ties yeah. at least historically in their backgrounds to Oregon and so for them to go, it might be, seem like a no-brainer to the average fan. Oh, of course, you've got Nate Costa. He played here. He's got the greatest, you know, someone that a lot of people respect. He's, you know, working his way up the coaching ladder. Of course, they're going to grab him. But this had to be not just an Oregon ties hire. This was a we see he's a lot good. in this guy. We think he's going to be very valuable as an analyst for our program. And that was kind of what went behind that decision. Uh, shifting gears now to, to a recruiting perspective, uh, the the Ducks have 10 verbal commitments. They're ranked 15th in the country. Uh, once again, they are first in the Pac-12, which kind of is uh, – I mean, Oregon's class is good. Right. But if you're Pac-12 and your top class is 15th in the country, you know, I know it's early in the process, but at the same time, it's it's halfway done because guys can start signing in six months um, in, in terms of the early signing period. But – I mean, Stanford's 33rd and they're 2nd. Yeah, that's... I mean, the Oregon's only team in the top 32. Yeah, that's not good. From a from a conference perspective. Yeah, like, right. I guess if you're Oregon, though, you're, you're thinking, 
wow, we you know, just like last year, we had a huge lead above everybody else throughout the year. And sure, some schools caught up to us, but we maintained that throughout, you know, start to finish. Same thing was in 2018 before Tiger left. Exactly. Years, so this is three straight years. Three straight years. And now Oregon's, you know, 2020, it's looking like they're positioning, positioning themselves for another top class in the conference. And um, they landed two more commitments. Uh, Jared Greenfield, which happened most recently on Monday the 10th, um, the day – so in the morning, Mario Cristobal is at the golf course and he's talking about, you know, all our coaches are here. You know, we're going to have fun. But if you watch us play golf, you're also going to see that, fun. that you're, we're going to be on the phone a majority of the time because we're also recruiting. So if we're not hitting or if we're not helping somebody find their ball or something, we're on the phone doing some kind of recruiting thing. And later that afternoon, they, they land a verbal commitment from uh, four star 24 seven sports ranks him as a four star. The composite. the composite, which is, if you're unfamiliar with that, it's the recruiting industry average. So it takes into account rivals, takes into account ESPN, and takes into account our, our own rankings at 24-7 Sports, averages it out. Greenfield's a three-star prospect there. So he's a three-star safety uh, out of Norborn High School uh, in Harbor City, California. And then over the weekend, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but they landed the biggest human being I have seen in a long time. Uh, this, this goes above Stephen Jones. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And Mao Sala, I just call him Sala. You're already setting yourself up yes. for when you're going to try to pronounce. Uh, uh, both of those guys, you know, were like 370, 380, uh, 365 offensive linemen. Uh, Oregon got a commitment from an offensive tackle of the name of Faope Lalaulu. I actually think that's probably not bad. I think I think we're close. Yeah, it's Lalaulu. I'm feeling pretty good about this. Out of St. Francis High School in Honolulu, Hawaii. He is six foot seven, three hundred and ninety pounds. <laughs> I, I didn't like. Do you, do you remember like fifteen years ago when someone being over three hundred pounds? And was a huge like, deal. Wow, they've got like their, their line average is two ninety five. They are <laughs> massive. This is a huge line, and now it's like they're getting guys. We're gonna get to a point here, not in the distant future, where guys are like five hundred. <laughs> Let's be real. That's where it's going. And I put it in my film review, and, um, and you can go back and look. We did a bunch of analysis, and like, do you, I remember a couple of years ago when the kid from New Zealand ended up signing with uh, Minnesota? I'm not yeah. forgetting his name. He was like six nine, four hundred pounds, and yeah. I was like, this is not going to work. There's not going to be that many guys. And now Oregon is going out and getting a guy basically the same size, but yeah. roughly the same size, uh, at six seven, three ninety. And it's like, we know he's probably not playing at 390. You know, Cristobal did, obviously couldn't speak specifically at him, but was asked about kind of how they work with some of these bigger body types and stuff. And they hope that these guys lose weight. And he used Malasala as a great example who came in here in the 370s. Now he's yeah. going 335 and he's running wind sprints and looking great and all this stuff. Clearly this kid's not playing at 390 Oregon. This kid's probably playing at 350. Yeah. Might play at 360. I mean, we're going to, once the senior class graduates, I think we're going to see Oregon offensive lines where routinely most of the guys are 330 and above. And that is pure insanity to me. Not, not, not. I'm not calling out the staff saying it's the wrong thing, but just like it's just, a, it's just so wild. It's different. It's, it's so, so different. different from what Oregon's used to. I mean, you, you said it right. I remember when you know, probably early 2000s, mid 2000s, uh, when Oregon had like two guys that were over 300 pounds on their offensive line that started, and it's like. They have two guys over 300 pounds. They're 303 and 305. And then they've got two other guys that are 285 pounds. They're almost there. And then you had a guy that's like 275 or 270 that's an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, just the sheer size and difference that Oregon has gone out and recruited for, for offensive line under Mario Cristobal it is just 
insanely okay. drastic. So here's 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 a good way to actually put this into perspective. I just pulled up the 2009 Oregon starting roster, and I'm using. I want to give a shout out to Chili Duck Depth I think they do a good job of archiving all the right. stuff. I use that a lot for the, some of the stuff I do. One guy over 300 pounds on yeah. Oregon's national championship. This is the first year, and that was Mark Asper at 322. The rest of them 290, 300, 286, 281. That was Oregon starting, and that was in 2000 and. That was nine years ago. That was nine years ago. And that was that, that was kind of what I was getting. This is what I remembered. I remember it was like, oh, you had a guy at 320. That's a huge person. And now it's like, oh, if he's less than 320, we're probably, I, maybe we don't have room for a guy like that. You know what I mean? It's I mean, just such a weird deal. In 2019, they they had a couple offensive linemen sign. Uh, Logan Sagapalu, who's an offensive center. He's six foot three, 340 pounds. Uh, like I said earlier... Uh, you look at offensive uh, offensive tackle Jonah Tuanu, uh, you know the 63rd best player in the country. He's six foot five, 305 pounds. I mean, and it, and that's small. Smaller guy, yeah. And then you had uh, Malasala Alamave Laalu, um, the number five junior college transfer in the country. He's six foot seven, 345 pounds. I mean, the, the, the sheer size of the guys. That Oregon's been going after is insane. You go back to 2018, Penny Sewell. This is really, really big. He's six foot five, 349 pounds. Uh, you also look at Stephen Jones, six foot five, 340 pounds. Dawson Jarlimo, six foot five, 295. Small. And, and he's guy. and he's gotten much bigger since his arrival at Oregon. Uh, Christopher Randazzo, six foot seven, 325, and then Justin Johnson. Uh, six foot seven, three hundred and fifty-five pounds. So I think Johnson was the heaviest guy that Oregon had got a commitment from, and and then they higher. just and stacked they on just, top of it. They just got a guy who's forty pounds bigger. <laughs> so I mean, it's just like okay. <laughs> um, this is, but this is the trend, and it's and it's going to be. I think this is actually probably going to be one of the big things to watch, not necessarily this year, but in twenty twenty and beyond with with this Oregon program. What does it look like when the whole offensive line is three thirty and above? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, and I think. One thing that you have to look at with this offensive line is we'll have to get a feel for kind of how agile these guys are and how quick they are. Because you can be huge and you can have quick feet and you can move and have mobility, but it's just very rare. Yeah. We don't know yet because we haven't seen a lot of these guys in action. I think Penny Sewell, you can say, yeah, he's mobile enough. Sure is. But I think when you look at these offensive linemen, are they going to be mobile enough to be that the type of spread offense – that traditionally, before Mario Cristobal and before Willie Taggart were hired, so under Mark Elfridge, under Chip Kelly, and in the late stages of Mike Bellotti's career, when they had mobile quarterbacks, and they, the quarterback was designing runs and running around the pocket and stuff, yeah. you, know, you had to have lighter offensive linemen because they had to run more, they had to, they had to get out, out of the pocket and, and, and pass protect out in open space and whatnot. These types of guys, more often than not, they don't do that. And I think if you look, there's, I think there's a correlation between the quarterback and the offensive line recruiting. Yeah. The offensive line's gotten bigger. Oregon wants to just dominate the line of scrimmage, the point of attack. And, and my, this is just me speaking. You know, I haven't been told this, but I think Oregon is, is pretty content just saying, if we get five yards every play, we'll take it. We'll, we'll march down the field and just obliterate you, you know, from a physical standpoint and kill your will. That way, and you know, sure, we'll take the you know the eighty yard touchdown play, but we'll also if you're just going to give us five yards every play, we'll take that all the time too. And I think so. You're looking at you know power run game, very physical, deep shots downfield with the passing game, and at quarterback, you're not seeing the dual threats get no. targeted all that often. They're still going after a couple of them, but more or less, 
I mean, the last three commitments they've had are pro-style guys. I think you're seeing here, and we've seen Stanford have some success there, where everyone else is zigging and they're doing, yeah. they're spreading out and they're getting smaller and they're and they're prioritizing getting everyone in space. And I think Oregon is like kind of like Stanford has done, sort of zagging a little bit here, where they're going, we're not going to be like everybody else. And you kind of again, you look around the conference, and basically besides Stanford, everyone is running a spread. They've got a lot of explosive guys. It's a lot of screens and underneath stuff, and that's what it looks like a lot largely around the country. You look at the Big Twelve; it's been that way. The SEC is moving. Closer and closer to that, I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that have been at Alabama and Oklahoma over these last couple of years that are winning uh, a bunch of awards. These are mobile, athletic guys, you know, and that's not what Oregon's doing. I think Oregon's trying to do something a little bit different, and again, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. And it's also, just from a, uh, just from I think, a narrative perspective, pretty interesting that that's happening at Oregon, which kind of started this whole, not really started, but one of, uh, certainly one of the premier programs that kind of pushed this tempo, speed, spread offense stuff, and now Oregon is sort of reverting back to a different thing. And I think we're actually almost seeing Oregon be innovative by kind of being somewhat regressive to a certain extent. I don't know. I think it's all really interesting. And we've spent the entire time talking now about the offensive linemen and no time talking really about Jared Greenfield. But, <laughs> but I think this is an underlying thing that yes. is, is really evident when you just look at the body types that are going out of. We, we watched, um, we should mention, up at the Northwest Best Showcase a couple weekends ago, Oregon offered an offensive tackle. A, a guy that was also really, really big, carried his weight really well. It's pretty clear that's the type of body type they're looking at. And and, um, and uh, Fayope Lalalu is clearly someone that fits that pretty well. Uh, real quick, we'll talk about Greenfield before we get off of this podcast. Um, I wrote about it's a big deal for Oregon, it's, even though you know, you're going to look at it and say, oh, it's just a composite three-star. What's so important about this? And he checks off a lot of boxes for me. Hey, he's a good player. He's a talented player. Um, on top of that, it's further enhancing and, and building your pipeline into Southern California because he's a SoCal kid. He's a very popular player amongst his peers in that class and the classes, before, you know, after him. And then on top of that, you know, Oregon continues to, to dig in to Narborn High School, yes. which is, for better or worse, the best high school public school in Southern California next year. Probably on the West Coast. Probably, you know, maybe on the West Coast. And, you know, they are absolutely loaded in terms of talent. Oregon has Jonah Tawanu coming in as part of the 2019 class. They now have Jared Greenfield, who's part of the 2020 class. Seven McGee, he's back and forth between Narborn High School and living in New York City with, or New York, uh, with family there. Uh, but he's extremely tight with Oregon's class there. Anthony Beavers, another 2021 guy from Northern, from Norborn High School is currently committed to Oregon. Uh, so they are, entrenching themselves into the best SoCal school uh, from a public perspective uh, in, in, in the area. And it's only going to pay dividends down the road. Well, I think one thing that stood out was watching his Instagram announcement is that Anthony Beavers actually was, I think, filming the yeah. announcement. And that just sort of, to me, showed a little bit of just how close these guys are. I think people are going to be concerned because this is, again, SoCal and Oregon and USC are obviously butting heads sure. a lot. And, the Chris Steele thing just happened. And, and, and if probably, you think that's going to stop, you're out of your your mind. Because yeah. that's always going to be the case. That's always going to be the case. That's not going to change. But I, I guess the point for me is just that, like, I just looked at, watched that. And kind of if you followed on social media, it was pretty clear that that Beavers was was kind of in, implying that something was going to happen on yesterday. And it was going to be a Jared Greenfield commitment. I think if they could kind of read between the lines there. But I just thought that was an instance of... It's pretty clear these guys are really tight and really close, and I think Oregon probably feels really good about these being long-term commitments that last. You know, that 
I mean, Beavers is somebody that we still, he's got like 18 months yeah. before he signs somewhere, but I think you should feel, it seems like all indications right now, just the way these guys carry themselves, is Oregon has done a really, really good job in that region. Uh, that's the podcast for today. Make sure you go to duckterritory.com. Uh, I highly encourage you guys to sign up. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, give us a try. $1 for 30 days. $1 for 30 days. That's all it's going to cost. Uh, it's like going to McDonald's and, and getting one of their cups of pop for one dollar uh that's all that's all it costs uh or if you want to go uh full in and buy in fully or if you're a month month subscriber and you're looking to go to annual and save some money you can you can subscribe for an annual subscription uh your first year it comes out to being six dollars and 26 cents a month that's like a three dollar and like 35 cent savings per month you know that's over 40 bucks i think uh, over the course of a year that you're saving uh, by switching to an annual subscription. Uh, almost pays for itself, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what you're saving. Uh, so I highly encourage you to go to that. Thanks for listening to the Duck Territory podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week for another Oregon football-centric one uh, coming up next week. For Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Brain, thanks for listening. Adios, amigos.